This is All People Are Crazy, a reverent discussions on how to cope with being a perfectly normal crazy person. These conversations are to nudge your curiosity about mental health, fill in any gaps in your knowledge, and encourage you to make the difficult deal of taking your own advice. This podcast series includes adult concepts, explicit language, discussions of mental health, mental illness, suicide, trauma, violence, drugs, and sex, but generally not all at the same time. Please be gentle with yourself and remember to seek support if you need it, starting with family and friends, your general practitioner, and in Australia Lifeline from 13, 11, 14. Welcome back to All People Are Crazy. I'm Lisa Downs and I'm joined by Australian psychologist and all-round great guy, Tom Lothian. <laughs> hello, Tom. Hello, Lisa, and hello, everybody. Sorry if I sound a bit baritone today. I'm uh, I'm a bit jammy in the old sinuses. I'll do my best to like keep my keep my tone at a at a level where not only whales can hear it. It's uh, it's a bit low today. A little bit of gravel. Whales actually go high, but uh, I'm isn't, very much loving you raising the dogs voice, high so. and whales. Oh yeah. See again, psychologists. There's a lot of things we don't know. <laughs> Just so many things where I'm reliant on books I read in primary school. That seems like an excellent example of said knowledge. Well, I'm loving uh, your husky little tone over there, so this will be delightful for me. Um, So last week, Tom, we delved into why raising small people is very, very hard. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It was centred mainly around the theme that as far as parenting goes, you just need to aim for good enough parenting as long as your kids know that they're loved, right, and make sure you're looking after yourself in order to do your best for your kids. That is a beautiful summary. I mean, like I was thinking about that episode after we recorded. I mean, it was a long one as well. That was easy, our longest uh, episode recorded. And there's so many things that we didn't talk about on the way through. Uh, and so maybe that's a topic we'll revisit. I don't know, we'll leave that to you. Social media people, let us know if there's like child topics that you wish us uh, wish for us to cover at some stage in the future. But yeah, I thought it was a very, very solid intro. And remember people, do good enough. Ain't no uh, point in aiming for perfect because it's simply not going to happen. Now, before we launch into this week, just a reminder that Tom does not dispense personal medical advice. All his advice is general in nature and you should seek professional support for your own individual circumstances. So in Australia, start with your GP. Amazing. Thank you. So I forget, I forget that you're going to do that every time we record this. And every it's time just you raise exciting like, oh, shock. That is like really handy that she says that because I forgot to mention that this isn't personal advice and maybe people would take it the wrong way otherwise. Oh, thanks, Lisa. You're great. So our topic for today is I fucking hate mindfulness. Uh, <laughs> and it seems like you've got some feelings about mindfulness, Tom. <laughs> or do you? Is this like the two sides of the coin? What are we doing here? I know. Mindfulness. Okay. I mean, <laughs> so it's a good topic because a lot of people fucking hate mindfulness as a thing. Now, I am not actually one of those people. I'm a big fan okay. as far as mindfulness is concerned, but... I get it. I get why a lot of people hate it. They have fairly sensible reasons for their hate and passion uh, in reaction to this topic. And it's a thing that a lot of psychologists, including me, encourage on a really regular basis. Uh, so, yes, I have strong feelings, but mine are of the warm and fuzzy variety as far as the old mindfulness is concerned. And I have a lot of clients from like, how did you go with mindfulness this week? And they're like, oh, no. Uh, and that's. <laughs> You know, that it, that's understandable. And that can be, that's a very fruitful conversation. And you say, oh, well, this is interesting. Why would you be avoiding paying attention to your mind? Like, I do not like it in there. Like, fair enough. But 
hard to get things done unless we've got some sense of what's actually going on inside your scone. Uh, so where should we start with this, Lisa? What's, uh, what's Well, your, I feel like you, given you have the warm and fuzzies about mindfulness, I'm going to play devil's advocate <laughs> against mindfulness this session. So hit me with what is mindfulness? All right. So, I mean, mindfulness is technically speaking, it's a school of therapy. Uh, I would say it's uh, Buddhism stolen by uh, Western white psychologists with all the magical parts stripped out of it. So basically we take this practice of uh, reflecting on our minds in a curious and non-judgmental way simply to observe the mind as it is. So often we'll take a practice of meditation, uh, for instance, focusing on the breath. And there's nothing kind of specifically magical about the breath. It's just that it exists. And when we allow ourselves to focus on the breath, then our mind will wander quite naturally, and that's fine. And then we draw our attention back to the breath, uh, and that basically starts building a muscle of noticing when our minds wander and allowing ourselves to gently bring them back to a point of focus. And the reason why that's useful is that in any given moment, your brain is going to freak out, right? Your sexy, crazy caveman brain is going to freak out in any given moment. And it's handy to have a tool available where you can redirect it. Keeping in mind that redirection will generally only last in the scale of seconds. That's why that concept of gentle redirection is really important because you don't want to get super frustrated like, oh, my mind keeps drifting. And so you keep bringing it back in a kind of frustrated adolescent way. You're vastly better off learning to do it in a cool, calm, collected way. Be like, yeah, okay, I've drifted. That's fine. And I'm going to bring myself back to this moment and where you drift and how you drift and the fact that you keep bringing it back. All of that is good experience as far as being in your mind and allowing it to be okay is concerned. So is mindfulness meditation? Meditation is, uh, I would say, the center of mindfulness. Let us call it that. Because there's a whole lot of the meditation is about the attitude you bring to it. So there are, because there are different schools of meditation, right? Like mindfulness doesn't have a monopoly on meditation as a concept. Um, and so, for instance, in like your Zen Buddhist uh, meditation, the aim really is to clear the mind, right? It's to kind of engage uh, within that like religious philosophical construct about meditation and your connection with, I mean, I don't know enough about Buddhism to kind of speak with any authority, right? But that's part of it. In the same way, the prayer in a lot of the Abrahamic religions, right? Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, right? Prayer kind of holds a similar position where we have the center of focus, which is whatever your meditation's on God. Uh, and you'll keep bringing your focus back to that again and again and again. In mindfulness, we take any religiosity out of it, right? So it's a compatible for folks of all belief. Uh, and instead, we bring our attention to our experience. But again, it's observational. So you can't win mindfulness. You also can't lose, which is the nice part about it. It's an experience that simply is, which sounds like such wanky bullshit. Right? Like I, I, whenever I, I have to say stuff like that to, to clients, I'm like, and I apologize that I sound like a cliche mindfulness guy. And I'll be honest, I do own one of those little bowls that you hit with a with a little woolen mallet. It goes, Boo. lovely sound, by the way. It is really, really nice. Why do we all need one of those? I'm so confused right now. Okay. You don't need to own the bowl. And I'll be honest, it was given to me as a gift from a mindfulness group I was in for like two years. In 2010 and 2011, uh, yeah, and as I was a student in a mindfulness group for a long time, like a student uh, therapist, uh, and when I was leaving, they're like, have this bowl. I'm like, great, 
very satisfying uh, as an instrument. I don't use it in my ongoing practice. Uh, it's in a cupboard somewhere uh, and it's not a necessary piece of the puzzle, right? Because this is the point is that, uh, yes, the meditation is central to mindfulness, but it's the expectations you place on yourself coming into it. And really those expectations are about having low expectations, right? It's about allowing your mind to be as it is. You have so many questions in your face. Go for it. You have so many questions. So how do you do it? What's the give me, if I'm going to go off and do mindfulness, <laughs> what am I doing? How am I setting myself up for that? I liked your use how of How long air, does it go? I liked your use of <laughs> my talking when you said do mindfulness. That's great. But this is, this is really important, right? Great. I mean, great devil's advocating apart from anything else because not only is the question a superb one, your frustration is exactly what everybody else is experiencing in relation to this thing. So mindfulness can be an incredibly short experience. And when I'm talking to clients about the value of this thing and encouraging them to build a practice where they tune into their minds, tune into their bodies for a period of time. We're talking a couple of minutes a day. And it doesn't okay. even need to take any meaningful time out of your day because a great place to do mindfulness is, for instance, in the shower. So you don't need to focus on the breath. Oh, God. This is not, <laughs> say, this is not on the toilet. <laughs> Okay, keep going. In the shower. Theoretically, but that's getting awfully <laughs> Freudian as uh, experience is concerned. I don't know. It's a couple of seconds where I've got some time for myself. Anyway, I mean, parents everywhere would understand that. Uh, be in the shower. Okay, so we're in the shower. Yeah. See, What's in the shower. Mean? And then, so if you don't want to focus on the breath, and for a lot of people, that's not a good idea, right? If you've got, say, chronic asthma, focusing on the breath is probably not a great idea to start with because there's probably a lot of anxiety attached to that. And while that might ultimately be a real helpful thing to do, that's kind of skills for advanced players, right? You want to be able to spend some time in your own mind just getting used to that experience before you do something really challenging. So if, for instance, you're doing mindfulness in the shower, what it'll actually do is reduce the amount of time you're in the shower because you're paying more attention. So if you're anything like me, like I like to roll out of bed, I get in the shower and I'm kind of waking up while I'm in the shower. Uh, I'm not really in my head or in my body at that stage of the game. Uh, I'm just like vaguely sanitizing myself and hoping to gain some level of consciousness along the way. Whereas if I go into a shower, I'm like, all right, I know I need to mindfulness it up. And it's a thing, I don't do a daily mindfulness practice anymore. I did quite intensively for a couple of years. Uh, but now in the same way that you know, I don't do a lot of running anymore because I basically only have one ankle. Uh, but when I do go running, I don't need to do all the practice that somebody who's never run before has done because my body's really acclimatized to running. In the same way, my body's really acclimatized to mindfulness. So I can drop into that space where I'm like, all right, just pay attention. And I'm noticing the shower, the water falling on my head. And I'm noticing it falling on my shoulders and I'm noticing it falling, rolling down my legs. And this is my experience in this moment. And that's all I'm doing. And I don't even need to narrate this, right? I'm narrating it now because it's an audio podcast and it would be very strange for me to just go silent and imagine the things I do in the shower when I'm doing a mindfulness. But the whole purpose of that, again, is just for me to essentially check in with myself and see where I'm at. I don't need to do anything with that other than note where I'm at. You have more questions in your face. I do have more questions in my face. No, so you firstly, I felt like you were telling me mindfulness is noticing the things that are happening around you, 
but yeah. then separately you've said it's noticing the things internally that are happening and thirdly you've said but don't hold on to anything that's happening to you internally let that all go <laughs> so I'm just still a little unclear are we noticing things are we physically noticing things as they pass by are we setting a time limit what are we yeah I mean, so as far as... Or is as, it all of the above? Is this kind, the thing? I mean, kind of all of the above, right? Because keeping in mind our internal experience is connected to our external experience. Now, I would suggest that mindfulness is grounded in the internal experience, right? It's really about how am I feeling? How am I functioning today in this moment, right? How can I bring myself into the present tense, uh, which has its own advantages as far as anxiety and depression are concerned in particular. Um, but in order to do that, we often need an external stimulus, right? Because people are not, you know, isolated units in the world. Our mind is not an isolated unit in an internal space and only in an internal space. We react to the outside world. Like that's what we're geared up to. That's what the caveman does, right? The caveman is there to help you function in the caveman world. Challenges that we don't live in a caveman world. And so then when, if you think about kind of time limit as a conversation, it can be any quantity of time. So I think if you're doing less than say two minutes of mindfulness, it's hard to give yourself just enough opportunity to let your mind wander and bring it back, yeah. which is the fundamental exercise. Uh, but you know, that's, I'd say two minutes is a totally adequate quantity of time. And if that's all a person can tolerate in the first instance, I think that's a really good start. Uh, and equally, as far as like topping out, yeah, there are, I mean, at their extremity, there are like week-long silence retreats. Yeah, it's look, I've never found that to be an attractive option. I think if you're some kind of, I guess in the same way, right, there's like extreme versions of running, like I can talk about marathon running as, uh, as a good metaphor for therapy. There is like ultra marathons, sure, knock yourself out. Uh, and yeah, there's the kind of equivalent of that in mindfulness land. I think if that's attractive, sure, feel free. If you feel like you're going to gain some amazing insight, feel yeah. You're We're welcome. just going for practical tips to yeah, you don't, everyday life. That's not, and, and importantly, but that's an important point is that doesn't have to be the end game here. That realistically, two to five minutes a day without carving any time out of your day is totally achievable for literally everybody because you're always engaging in some kind of task that is simple enough that doesn't tax your brain, right? Whether it's sitting in the shower or it's taking breaths or it's doing dishes or it's driving. Uh, and you can bring yourself into that moment and just notice what's happening. All right, I'm going to observe. I'm going to be in this process of driving. I'm going to turn off the radio. I'm going to understimulate myself. I'm just going to let myself focus on this one thing. And then my mind will wander and I'll notice where it's gone and I'll gently bring it back and it'll wander and I'll notice where it's gone. Go for it. And is that why this mindfulness is actually a good idea? Because we're just so overstimulated at the minute um, yeah. that we've sort of, we're hyper, yeah, I, hyper aware and hyper stimulated all the time. Is I that what this think is? That's true? a big part of it. Absolutely. Because apart from anything else, like the stimulation in and of itself is not inherently problematic, right? Let's not kid ourselves. Having fun is good. Uh, and more stimulation often means more fun. But when you're chronically overstimulated or when you're chronically trying to split your attention between a million different things, it's easy to kind of get caught up in this like whirring cycle of anxiety. And then you're trying to solve a heap of problems without getting any traction on any of them. Whereas look, all the research would say that multitasking is a fantasy, that it doesn't really exist. All you're really doing with multitasking is 
uh, doing one thing, putting it down, picking something up and doing a small amount, putting it down, picking the first thing up again. Uh, whereas the fastest way consistently in kind of organizational psychology research, the fastest, most effective way to get tasks done is to do one thing from start to finish and then pick up the next thing and do it from start to finish. Mm. Uh, and so look, with the limited exceptions of when you're doing two tasks that require almost no attention, yeah, you can do them both at the same time. That's fine. But you'll do them both at a really low level of quality. So as long as that's all that's required of you, yeah, that's lightly more efficient, right? I listen to psychology podcasts while I'm doing my laundry, neither of which is very taxing for me, both of which take a bit of time. And so I save myself, whatever, half an hour by doing those two things at once. But for instance, when I'm in session with a client, I don't do anything else. I don't even take notes, right? Like I do the notes after the fact. Um, some psychologists are smart enough to kind of take scribbles as they go. Uh, I'm not that guy. And on the odd occasion where I have to do that because it's a clinical assessment or something, like I tell the client in advance because I'm going to be on the computer or on a notepad um, uh, throughout the session and I'm just not going to be as focused. And to tie into that anxiety piece, incidentally, anxiety is all about the future, right? Or it's largely about the future. So for the anxious folks in particular, if you're finding that kind of, well, in mindfulness, we call it the monkey mind, right? So it's that, that oh, I would call it caveman mind. That caveman mind is worrying away. It's like, oh God, you know, this is happening and that's happening and this is happening. I've got to solve all of these future problems now. When you can feel that temperature getting too high, bring yourself into this moment. Like, okay, but in this moment, I am driving this car. I am having this shower. I am going to the toilet. Uh, <laughs> I know. Here's a question. That wasn't a recommendation. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, this yeah. Look, I, psychologists have a whole weird fixation with you know wee and poo and bums and stuff. So um, yeah, we, I get a little bit anxious about. Kind of, um. <laughs> oh really? Have you not like Sigmund Freud? Weird guy and the Godfather of psychotherapy, right? So it's uh, yeah, we we carry his like strangeness in our history. Uh, so I'm going to steer away from the toilet thing just because that's got a layer of complexity I don't really want to go into. Uh, but right, if you're trying to calm that caveman mind, try to carve that anxious monkey mind, then it's about bringing yourself into this moment. And you're like, okay, yeah, all of that's there. But in this moment, all I'm doing is driving this car, is being in the shower, is doing these dishes, whatever the thing is, or taking a breath. I'm going to carve out these three, five minutes, right? If you want to do a classic mindfulness, just sit and breathe. Right. And generally we would sit and breathe in a relaxing way, not because the aim of mindfulness is to relax. But when we pick a relaxing environment and we drop into that moment, relaxation is a natural side effect of that. And so that's one of the big advantages. It will really slow down that anxious mind. And equally, I referenced it before when it comes to the depressive side of things. Depression is often about fixation on the, on the past, right? I feel terrible because, or I have this history and therefore I feel. Whereas again, if you're like, okay, I acknowledge that all that exists, but in this moment, I am doing my laundry. In this moment, I am taking a deep breath. In this moment, I am visualizing a pleasant scene, a safe place for me, right? All of which are great kind of mindfulness activities. Then yeah, it can give you a break from that grinding depressive narrative. Equally, it can give you a break from that grinding anxious narrative. But again, coming back to it, right? And I know there's contradiction baked into mindfulness and you've called it out already. Uh, we're not striving to get rid of these things. It's a non-striving environment, mindfulness. It's about observing what is. Picking a center of focus, practicing holding that focus, accepting that the focus will drift, right? Wandering mind is all a part of mindfulness and then gently acknowledging where we've gone and coming back to it. 
And this is where the self-therapy can really come into it because, hint, hint, if your mind wanders to a specific location again and again, it's probably important. So you might have whatever, 15 items on your to-do list, right? You, Lisa, live a busy life uh, and you often have more than 15 items on your to-do list. So if you're looking at that big, long to-do list, like, far out, I don't even know where to start with all of this. Like, all right, well, I'm going to go have my mindfulness shower because that's the thing I have to do anyway today. I've got to clean myself because that's like useful. Uh, and so I'll get a mindfulness the hell out of the shower. And you get in there and you're like, all right, so be in the shower, water on the shoulders, lovely. And you're like, and I keep drifting to one specific item on that to-do list. And you're like, okay, and bring it back. Back to that one I'm like, interesting. You keep bringing it back. One, same item, same item, same item. Like, ooh, maybe that's the one to really start with. And it might be the obvious one, and it might not. And so sometimes there's actually great insight within the wandering mind, right? Not always. It's an emotional experience, right? It's the irrational mind, the intuitive mind, which sometimes is like deep wisdom. And sometimes means you need a sandwich and that's okay. (laughs) So it's, it's always is like, it's always, is this wisdom question mark, right? Like that's, that should always be the punchline (laughs) kind of coming out of this stuff. Um, but, I do love that as a yeah a flagship uh, is, message. Just is this more broadly mark? speaking, <laughs> yeah, is this really smart or do I need a sandwich? Yeah, this is a, <laughs> look clearly a question I ask myself repetitively on any given day. <laughs> so yeah, I think every part of this experience can be useful. I think it takes energy to be mindful because it takes energy to pay attention, right? I think attention. I, to be honest, I think the words attention, consciousness awareness and mindfulness all mean the same thing in the context in which we're using them. I think they're the same concept. So just because we wrap it up in some kind of slightly different technical language doesn't mean that this is actually unfamiliar. It means that this is a concept that's accessible to everybody, doesn't take any more time, takes a little more energy, but we expect also that while you'll spend a bit of energy up front, you're going to get all that back because you're going to waste a lot less energy freaking out about your 15 item uh, to-do list or like feeling so regretful about things that have happened in the past or the ways that you kind of feel about yourself. So if it drags you out of that anxious mind or that depressive mind for a period of time, then yeah, you're likely to have a much better day. And as a result, yeah, you might spend a bit more energy doing your mindfulness in the morning, but you're probably going to get all that back by mid-morning, let's say. Yeah, right. I feel like you're salesmanning me on, but wait, give me five minutes and I'll give you 10. Uh, I know. (laughs) Does feel very used car salesman. (laughs) Very Um, much so. This is not the first time I've had this conversation, right? It's kind of the whole point of this podcast is like, what are those lines that I've got like really smooth at this point? Because I've just practiced them so many times. (laughs) Have wonderful clients who have tested me uh, repetitively on exactly this topic because <laughs> they're like, Ugh, I accept that this is a good idea, but I'm not going to do it. You're like, oh, God. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's not necessarily about doing it right. Like, you know, what if you can't clear your mind? You just jump back in there and have another crack. What are you? Do well, we walk off feeling depressed? What do we do? Well, this see, this is as again, it's it's hard because there's this contradiction in the instructions, right? The instructions are 
have a center of focus, let your mind wander, notice where it goes, gently bring yourself back, right? So that's an instruction. That's a doing thing. And then we say, but it's non-judgmental. And you're just observing <laughs> your experience. And the experience is what it is, which is kind of contradictory. It's like, so, but are we doing or are we not doing? And the answer to that is yes. It's both, right? We are both doing and not doing. By having a center of focus, that is a place in which to put our mind. But in that space, we're then simply observing what's going on. You're not winning. You're not losing. It just is. And importantly, even if you're using the shower, which for most people is a pleasant space, right? As long as you've got a well-functioning shower. Uh, if you don't feel pleasant while doing the mindfulness, that is not a failure. In fact, I would suggest to you that's very interesting. And I would really. Oh, you're such a psychologist. Oh, I'm such a psychologist. <laughs> I know. And I, I get. Like, Why is that so interesting, oh, Tom? I know, but this is like one of the big criticisms of mindfulness. And it's fair enough, right? Because we have like all the incense and crazy little singing bowls uh, and weird bells that go along with it. It's like such woke, wanky bullshit as far as mindfulness is concerned. But it doesn't have to be, right? That again is all about the attitude we bring to this stuff. So if we come, I mean, it's not unlike. Um, uh, yeah, let, let me say that. It's not unlike stretching, right? So if we take a physical metaphor, it's not unlike stretching. Now, the difference is that stretching has a specific outcome in mind, which is flexibility to prevent injury. Uh, but in that moment, sometimes it can be deeply pleasant, right? You stretch you're like, oh, that's a good stretch. I'm really going to feel good afterwards. Or if you're anything like me, you start stretching and you hate it from start to finish <laughs> repetitively doesn't matter how many times you practice stretching you don't doesn't matter how much you know about how good it is for you i like i am a resentful stretcher and the second i don't need to i stop right like i'm so <laughs> neglectful of my body in that way uh and it's okay right because that's okay because it does what it needs to do and if what your mind needs to do is to feed you an unpleasant experience Right. If that's all that's accessible to you as far as pulling yourself into your mind and pulling yourself into your body is concerned. And there's a lot of folks out there who have that. Right. There's a lot of folks with histories, hard histories with their minds, hard histories with their bodies, where it's not all good to like slow down and pay attention to what's going on in the inside. Yet there's going to be discomfort attached to that and often painful discomfort. And even that is OK as far as the mindfulness is concerned. Because the second we stop judging the pain, firstly, the pain will reduce. And secondly, sorry to sound like a cliched psychologist, we can get curious about what that pain means and what we can do about it next or what the pathway to doing something about it is. Go for okay, it. so that, well, no, that's a great thing because I was going to ask you, what if I don't like the feelings that are popping into my head while I take five minutes to sit quietly uh, and watch my feelings or thoughts pass through? What do I, mean, I do? That, what What's practical you steps? You don't need to do anything. Just have it. What action items, Tom? Like, yeah, but here, so here the, the underlying assumption, right? The underlying assumption is that pain is bad and we have to get rid of it immediately. And that's... Yes. <laughs> Seems practical. Get rid of that stuff. Chop it out. If it was a like a limb that was going gangrene, I would chop it off. Oh, see, this is great, right? Because that... And look, 99% of the time, that is our healthy relationship with pain, right? In our 99% of the time, our healthy relationship to pain is I'm in the kitchen. I have an unpleasant burning sensation. I should perhaps <laughs> step away from the stove or the oven, whatever yes. I'm closest to, right? That yes. is the normal, aversive, protective nature of pain. Now you're ex hearing me. <laughs> except that there's the 1%. <laughs> 
And the 1% is that sometimes pain is informative and sometimes we can't escape pain. (laughs) This is really good channels, like (laughs) resistance. Uh, Very authentic. I'll point out to you. You don't say. (laughs) If you're bugging this on, it's a spectacular job. Uh, No, I feel like we really launched into a solidly satirical on this one. This is great, right? Because this is totally the experience. It's the conversation I have all the time, right? I have it several times a week, I would say. Some version of this conversation where people are like, yeah, yeah, cool, I get it. Like challenging yourself and getting stronger and feeling better or paying attention and noticing that it's unpleasant, figuring out why. Uh, But that's awful and I don't want to do it. So come up with something else, clever man. You went to school forever. Like, exactly. Oh, but it's not my job to have the answers because I'm a psychologist, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what the difference is between liver and kidneys. Um, all of that. Or whales and dogs, it turns out as well. It's a distressing concept. Um, yeah. So you have it. You have it. You get curious about it. And look, it's, uh, whenever I'm in that conversation, I tell the story of one of my like early mindfulness experiences. So I was in the lovely group who ended up giving me the bowl, the singing bowl. Uh, and I was like, I was really getting into this mindfulness jam. I tell you the first time I did it, first time I sat in that group, like, all right, so this is the activity and I'll be doing it too, because that's the way this group runs. I pulled myself into my mind, pulled myself into my body, focusing on my breath and my anxiety immediately jumped because I wasn't used to it. I wasn't used to paying attention to my mind and paying attention to my body. I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> just, am I broken? What does this mean? Uh, <laughs> and I just sat with it and then it settled because it turns out while weird the first time round, or even for the first several times round, uh, you can get used to basically anything if you really want to. You can desensitize to anything that isn't dangerous and your mind doesn't have to be dangerous, even if it's painful. Uh, and then one day I turn up to work with enough with a cold, not like the one I have today. <clears throat> and I'm doing the mindfulness meditation. And uh, you know, in that end game of a cold, how sometimes, uh, forgive my language, the snot in your nose gets kind of hard. Oh God. Yeah. And so as I'm breathing in, I'm getting like freezing air, feels like it's venting straight into my brain in a painful way. Like someone's taking one of those like air compressors and just like hosing it into my brain and it was deeply unpleasant and then my like inner mindfulness mind's like well you should just notice this shouldn't you like oh fine i'll just notice this and it was amazing because the second i just noticed it the pain dropped and it became i had space for it it was okay i didn't enjoy it there was no part of me that seeks that out as an ongoing experience because it was gross and hard and i don't like it but it was fascinating. It was a really interesting reflection on my relationship with pain and that depending on the way I perceive the pain and depending on what I try to do with the pain, I experience the pain in a different way. And so whether it's unpleasant, hard boogers or your relationship with yourself at a more profound level, because that of course, <laughs> is what we're actually talking about here, good to develop a space where you don't do the same thing over and over again, right? If you already struggle with your own mind right you're already resentful or whatever of your own mind you've got hard feelings towards your own mind take two minutes a day and suspend those feelings for a moment and then you'll still drift back into them and that's okay because that's where your wandering mind is probably going to go but build that practice of doing your mind in a different way to simply be where it is see where it's at and see where you're going to go next with it that that's the kind of point is to build a different practice. Again, to kind of come back to my favorite metaphor of marathon running, we don't run all the time. 
in marathon practice, you get injured, right? Even if you're running a lot in marathon training, you might be running I don't know, 40 kilometers a week is a lot, right? For like a marathon training. That's, and you'd be pretty fit by that stage of the game. Yeah, that's like four hours of running. And how long's a week? Like 160 something hours. So it's a tiny fraction in actual marathon training. It's an even smaller fraction as far as mindfulness is concerned. It's not going to break your brain, right? It's nothing is going to fundamentally change immediately as far as this work is concerned. It doesn't fix essentially anything. What it does is form a piece of your toolkit to firstly slow your brain down in the moment when you need to. And it'll give you some insight from you as to where you're at and what the kind of sensible pathway forward is going to be. Yeah, right. Okay. You, you're just starting to sell it to me. Um, <laughs> but to me, but... it's still shit, right? Like it's still like, cause pain sucks. It just does. There's no getting around that. And as we accepting, as I think we talked about it in a previous episode, right? It's the power of giving up, right? If you can give up on this fairly sensible fantasy that there's got to be a pain-free solution Right. If you're willing to say, all right, what if I gave up on the pain-free solution and I accepted that pain is going to be part of this experience? All of a sudden, mindfulness is in play and you can start getting curious about what all this means and what you should do about it. I like your flagship word, curiosity. I feel like that's something I've taken out of this little pet talk. But so yeah, like say, and, the, a, and I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I feel like the vibe you try to give me is do a couple of minutes every day because my problem with mindfulness is like because <laughs> I've used mindfulness in the past, but like I will not use mindfulness when I should, when things are like simmering boiling level I will wait until like the whole house has exploded (laughs) from a gas leak and then I'll be like oh things are so desperately bad maybe I should like lower myself to use this mindfulness thing Yeah, so it's and I feel like maybe I'm not quite using it in the way that it's intended. In case of emergency, it doesn't work. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what I'm being using it for. Yeah, and look, you're again. I suspect you're not alone in that. Uh, (laughs) And I'll be so I can use it that way now, but I use it that way having done a heap of it when it was entirely uncontroversial. So I think if you, it's a practice, right? Like anything else, just like running, it's a practice. Uh, and so you can build a practice, right? Kind of build that muscle memory, although I hate that term, uh, build that muscle memory of mindfulness or running. And then, yeah, when your house is like catching on fire and exploding, yeah, you can drop into some slow, deep breaths and that'll bring your heart rate right down. It'll give you clarity in a matter of seconds. And all of a sudden you've got a sense of where you are, exactly how much of a problem you've got and what to do next, right? All of that is accessible with the underlying practice. <laughs> but I tell you, like, <laughs> I don't practice when I should, when I'm simmering or boiling. Yeah, no, don't even practice then. You want to practice when the pot is full of cold water to extend the <laughs> metaphor, right? You want to do it again. A daily mindfulness practice is all about doing it at the uncontroversial times. So you can do the things like have the discomfort of being in your brain have the discomfort of being in your mind in exactly the way that I do. And I don't feel like I even have that much of a resentful like relationship with my brain and mind. <laughs> Both of them are grossly imperfect, uh, but I'm <laughs> okay with that. And I really kind of have been for a long time, right? I think the more I do this, the even more comfortable, more warmly bemused I get with how <laughs> batshit crazy and kind of poorly wired together I am. Uh, but 
right? If it's if we practice in the less controversial times, then we can work through all the weirdness of having this experience. Uh, and yeah, then when you really do need it, you're likely to get a pretty solid bump out of it. I mean, for um, you know the folks who who kind of take this more from like a a neurology or a, or a biofeedback perspective, right? So we'll often manage uh, um, things like uh, skin conductivity, it's kind of how much sweat is on your skin, which is a measure of stress, um, or even heart rate is a good example. Like, I'm, I mean, I haven't done the, the measurement on this, but I'm guessing that if I need to drop my heart rate rapidly, I'm a lot better at it now than I was 15 years ago before all the mindfulness practice because mm. I'm really practiced at lowering my heart rate by taking slow, deep breaths, that I can find myself in that mindfulness zone a lot easier and even if my mind is wandering repetitively, that's an easier experience than it used to be for me. Yeah, right. So talk to me about resources, Tom, because I quite liked um, using the Headspace app and their pre-sleep yep. uh, mindfulness sort of section, which really calmed me down and yeah. helped me actually stop my brain running around to try and get to sleep. And it's a great, is, great time. You don't need to, like, cut out any additional time in your day in order to fit that in, right? And, indeed, if it improves the quality of your sleep, then you're actually picking up time because you'll be more rested and more energetic the next day. So, yeah, Headspace is a great resource. I think a paid app but a very high-quality product. Um, I'll also give a shout-out to Smiling Mind, uh, which is an Australian free app um, and it's also very kind of high quality content. Uh, mindfulness, because of its origins, I think, in uh, Buddhism, uh, attracts what I like to call a lot of well-meaning hippies uh, and bless them. A lot of them do really great work. But if you want your mindfulness with a smaller quantity of magical thinking attached to it, uh, <laughs> then your headspaces and your smiling minds are really good resources. And also I'll call that the, there's a mindfulness research center at the University of California in Los Angeles. And they have a great, I think they've got an app these days, but they've certainly got a good podcast stream and a whole heap of resources along those lines. So I'll whack uh, links to those three in the uh, the notes for today's show. But yeah, I mean, there's a million of them out there. I think if you start with any of those three, play around with different things, see what's attractive, see what works for you, right? Again, it's not monogamous. You're allowed to date other people. And uh, yeah, have a play with it, right? See what activities and what times of days and what things work for you, whether you get um, any interest or there's more or less discomfort in any given experience and all of it's informative, right? If it turns out being in the shower is super uncomfortable, but doing it in the car is super comfortable, uh, both of those are informative as far as your relationship with different parts of your experience is concerned. Yeah, Ripper. So before I throw to you for your top three messages on this, I've actually had some interesting takeouts out of this. Do you know what? I've never, I, I, maybe people have told me before, but I've never really connected. You said that depression is linked to people worrying about the past, whereas anxiety is linked to people worrying about the future. And I, maybe people have told me that, but I've never really <laughs> connected that in my head before. So that's just blown my mind uh, today. <laughs> That's great. Clear, not original thought from me. I totally stole that from mindfulness books I've read in the past, but <laughs> glad Ripper. to hear it. Sure. And this um, concept of being curious and observant mm. of your body and I think all your thoughts and I think slapping in um, an isn't it interesting mm. at the start of everything, you know, that you're trying to unpack or thoughts that pop into your head. So isn't it interesting that this one thing keeps coming up for me all the time or isn't it interesting that... I can't relax over here because this is going on, but I can relax at this time of the day. Or isn't it interesting? And, uh, yeah, being observant about what's happening yeah. for you is a key thing that and I've taken a, out. 
That's a nice trick as well as loading in some extra words at the front of your sentence because you can consciously do that, right? So rational brain is easier to control than the, the, the uh, emotional brain. Uh, so if we can use the rational brain to cue curiosity as an emotional experience, mm. isn't it interesting? Or in the, the mindfulness kids really love, I'm noticing. I'm noticing. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, but whatever works for you, right? Again, the kind of the underlying aim there is to cue your curiosity, right? If you can nudge your curiosity, then you might have a very different experience of the same mind and the same body instead of hating all over it or whatever it is you normally do. Yeah, yeah, Ripper. All right, so they were my takeouts. What are your top three messages on mindfulness, Tom? So I would say that mindfulness is about paying attention to yourself. Uh, I would say that that's helpful because if you know where you're at, you can figure out what the path is to do next. And even if it's hard, it'll get easier with practice, right? Even painful mindfulness will get easier with practice because you can acclimatize and desensitize to anything safe if you give yourself enough opportunities to do so. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I think you've uh, sold me to try and get into a bit of mindfulness uh, daily or at least a couple of times a week as opposed to just when the house is burning down. So well done. That was a tough sell. Nice. <laughs> Oh, well, well, we'll play this out as a classic uh, therapeutic situation. And I'll just check in on you at the start of that next recording. Uh, <laughs> you actually done yeah, that right. That's fair. That's fair. I'll, I'll take that. Treat me like every physiotherapist you've ever had. You do none of the stretches and none of the exercise. Like, oh, yeah, I've totally done it. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Don't lie to your psychologist. People. No, I haven't. But keep, you know, keep telling me. Uh... Can't you just massage me until I feel better? <laughs> like, no, it Stick doesn't it. Give me some pills. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So next week our topic is all people are monsters. Oh, Tom, this yeah. ought to be a goodie. That's a cracker. Yeah, it's uh, look, it's probably going to get a bit dark, I'll be honest. It's like some of everybody's more dangerous impulses. Let's keep in mind, cavemen, not always nice people. Uh, and so all of that stuff is inside us. Uh, yeah, let's put just all the trigger warnings on the front of that episode, I reckon. It, uh, it, it could be a toughie. Uh, but if it's a thing that's of interest to you and if it's part of your own experience and you're worried about it, then probably a good listen. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us once again for All People Are Crazy. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. Bye. All People Are Crazy is a production of The Therapy People. We would appreciate your five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice. Why not visit us at allpeoplearecrazy.com.au or on Instagram or Facebook. If you're a psychologist interested in setting up private practice, why not visit therapypeople.com.au to see whether we can be of assistance.